Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, Stories from Reformed Baptist History with Commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist History. We are on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We continue with becoming acquainted with the small and rural but long-lived particular Baptist church at Weston by Whedon. It is encouraging to see that over the years, the focus in the church book is on spiritual things. Over time, some congregations begin to spend their time, money, and memories on externals, especially buildings. But the records of Weston by Whedon for several centuries show a consistent concern about the truly important core of true religion, conversions, baptisms, worship, practical love including gifts to the needy, holiness, and the calling of officers. Let me give you a number of examples of their healthy church life. Many of these will strike a chord from your own experience. At least one is quite different. But let's continue to get to know these fellow believers. It was their practice to occasionally hold what they called our general meeting. This was a day-long affair held during the week. The goal was to have all the widespread body come together and pray over and discuss the business of the church. To enable as many as possible to come and stay, a good time was chosen, usually not during some harvest or rainy season. Then food was provided so that all could stay for the day. Here's a sample purchase for the general meeting of June 17, 1708. Quote, Paid for wine for our general meeting, six shillings, and for meat, six shillings, and for bread, two shillings, two pence, and for cheese, ten shillings, and for drink, one shilling, six pence. At the same time, paid Philip Cherry, for horse hire twice, two shillings. These particular Baptists knew how to eat, just like we do today. Our food and drink choices are somewhat different, and we've exchanged horse hire for motorized horsepower. Since these people were predominantly from the laboring classes, spending a day like this would have been a sacrifice, but they were clearly committed since these ran for many years. The church frequently gave what we would call benevolence to needy members. They called it Christian sympathy, and the outlays are written in the church account books. Here are a few of the entries. Item paid to Dorothy Meesham to pay the surgeon at Banbury 11 shillings 6 pence. There were a number of entries of collections for her. She appears to have been 
an afflicted sister to whom the church properly responded. Here is another entry that preachers can appreciate. Paid to Mr. Stanley for something to drink after his preaching, one shilling, six pence. This was paid in December, so perhaps it was a warm cuppa during the cold of winter. There are many small sums handed out to needy members, and it demonstrates the seriousness with which they took their duty to care for one another's physical needs. For many years, about a century or more, it doesn't appear that the pastor was paid except for what we would call reimbursements. Perhaps the congregation was too small and poor to care for him, or maybe he just didn't need it. It is plain from the accounts that they believed in supporting the pastor because in later years, as they grew, they regularly paid him. So, for example, at the end of the 1700s, they had enough members and money to erect a building. At the same time, they began to pay their new pastor then. The officers were called by different names. Elder or pastor was used for the one office and deacon for the other. At other places, the word minister is used. But this appears to be the equivalent of what we would call gifted brethren today. It named those men, always approved by the church, who were not officers, but were recognized with an ability and soundness to preach and teach. Some taught in Sunday schools. Others filled in for nearby churches or proclaimed in what they called preaching stations. Those were like home mission outposts. Still others helped in their own congregation when the pastor was away or ill. Some of these ministers would go on to be recognized as pastors, but others did not. All of these men, probably without exception, were raised up within the congregation itself. They were self-taught as they had opportunity. None would have gone to what is referred to as a pretentious college or even some kind of academy. Self-study in the context of a local pastor and congregations would have been the only practical way for these laborers to study. This was how the nearby pastors William Carey and Andrew Fuller fanned their gifts into flame. All of these practices should strike us as historically typical. But this church did one unusual thing when a pastor was lost, usually by death, and a new one chosen. Let me quote Pastor Joseph Lee on this matter. It is worthy of notice that when a pastor was chosen, those who were united in the invitation had their names entered as putting themselves voluntarily under his care. Those who did not thus enter were considered withdrawn, so they resigned all power in the church. The pastor was thus certain to be surrounded by none in the church but those who were thankful for his ministrations and willing to sustain him in them. When Thomas Lovell became pastor, 31 members put themselves under his care. When William Stanger was ordained, 36 members did the same. A fruitful source of division in churches has been a small number disaffected toward the pastor from the first who have retained their membership 
and employed their influence to induce others to oppose as well as themselves. By the arrangement just referred to, this was prevented in the case of this church. Essentially, when a new pastor was chosen, the church reconstituted under him, and it does seem reasonable to think that this helped their commitment and unity over the years. Given the time and place of this church, it's no surprise that many of the saints joined early and lived their whole lives in this one congregation. No doubt there were many lifelong friendships made, and so when one of them died, it would have been a cause of deeply felt grief, and particularly so for the pastor. Let me read to you again from Pastor Joseph Lee. For those who passed away, brief pastoral records were appended to their names, such as an eminently holy man of God, and died in triumph, and her death a great loss to the church and neighborhood. Another, sudden death was sudden glory, no doubt. These show the impressions made by their life and death on the general mind. These brief appendages written by the pastors who watch for their souls and were therefore likely to form an accurate judgment of them are like a sunbeam in which we see at one view the kind of people they were. They lived to a great extent secluded from the world and were unknown beyond a limited sphere, but they sustained and extended the cause of truth. Their record is on high, and now they rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. He goes on. A Mr. Williams, who died in 1842 after retaining his membership for nearly 40 years, is described by the pastor at that time as, quote, a member walking consistently, emphatically a man of peace. He died having conquered the world in the triumph of faith. Many others might be mentioned who, having obtained a good report through faith, have now received the promises. Two of the most aged members, he writes, have exchanged time for a glorious immortality. Mr. Morris, in his 90th year, had borne the Christian name for 70 years and had been a deacon of this church 50 years. Joseph Collier, aged 92, had been a member 60 years or thereabouts. He died having just said, I am going to be with Jesus. Hallelujah. It's appropriate to close this study of the Weston by Whedon Church by quoting from the last paragraph of Pastor Lee, who clearly was deeply joined to his people in love and purpose. Looking back on the past and round on the present, there is much cause for gratitude and encouragement. The cause has made steady progress from the first. It has had its times of prosperity and its times of adversity, but through the goodness and faithfulness of God, it retains and increases its vigor for usefulness, realizing the promise, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. It has had its burning and shining lights, 
and its dark spots by which its brightness has been obscured. But amidst all changes, the candlestick has been continued in its place. Instead of the fathers, there have been raised up the children, according to the faithful promise of a covenant-keeping God. May we all be worthy followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises, who have in this place been prepared for their inheritance and from hence taken to it. And when our work is done and reward attained, may succeeding generations carry on with still greater vigor and success the work of the Lord, which was so worthily begun and continued, and the triumphs of the truth in this neighborhood be greatly multiplied, and to God shall be all the glory. May the Lord grant each of our churches the same hope, faith, and love, and may he continue the work of his hands in our places until Christ returns. To God be all the glory, indeed. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist, wishing you grace and peace.